Welcome to the Thoughtful Gamer Podcast, episode number 43. Today we're going to be talking about PAX Unplugged 2018. Here with me today is Amber. Hi, everyone. And uh, she attended PAX for one of the days. I was there all three days, and it was a really chill PAX for me. I don't know about you. You, I mean, you only went on Saturday, but for me, it was really kind of relaxing compared to last year. I, I ran around and did you know some stuff, but I I took it a bit easy. Yeah. How did it feel to you? It was it was it was busier and bigger there. I think overall as a convention, it didn't necessarily feel bigger than last year. I walked around and saw the exhibits with you, but then I mostly just played board games for the afternoon. And yeah, it was pretty chill. Um, it got kind of crowded towards the end of the afternoon, especially at the board game tables, but we had staked out our claim long before it got crowded. So it was nice. Got to play a bunch of different games, hang out with people. It was pretty chill. Yeah, I mean, they they provided more room generally for stuff. So last year, basically they took the space last year that was for all of the events and the expo hall and the free play tables and that was just expo hall and free play and then all the tournaments and stuff were in a separate hall which i don't even know if you even went into did you even see that place no i didn't see it um they had a bunch of huge rooms open for different kinds of games i think they had that last year though okay okay. the side rooms yeah i didn't go into many of the side rooms last year yeah, there they were various things there. That's why they did the mega games and such. But the the tournament space, I would say, was another third to half the size of the main hall area. And it was just tournaments. So all the major things you'd see for bigger tournaments. So Wizards with Magic, Fantasy Flight with X-Wing and Keyforge. Uh, WizKids was doing some stuff with some, what are they called? The little clicker games, the the base, the rotating base, like Mage Knight. They have a whole line of games around those components. The clicker games? That's what they're no, called? No, they're... <laughs> I can't remember the name of them. They have... You know in Mage Knight? Yes. The enemies, yes. like the cities, have the little rotating base? Yes. They have a whole line of miniatures. That's like their major thing is, are those click tracks? Is that what they're called? Or is that a completely different thing? I don't remember. Uh, but I saw some people playing that. I didn't know people played with those anymore. But I guess that's what keeps hmm. WizKids going as a, as a big company. And uh, various other things were going on in there as well. Mostly magic, as you would imagine. But it was a really fun event. I think uh, of the conventions we go to, at least for that size, it's by far the most well-run like, even better than East, it's it seems like things are more under control than in PAX East. Although PAX East is, is done really well. And from what I've heard, it's substantially nicer than the other major conventions like Gen Con or Origins or even BGG Con. Although I've heard people say really good things about BGG Con, which mm. maybe we'll have to get to at some point. Is PAX smaller than all of those? I think it's it's certainly smaller than Gen Con. Yeah. I think it's probably smaller than Origins, but around the same size or, or bigger than BGGCon. Okay, cool. So, I mean, it it was big. They, they had a lot of space there, and I don't know what the numbers are, but it was 
especially on Saturday, it was busy. I mean, Friday was certainly the, the day to do the expo hall. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about some of the stuff we did there. So we went up with a group of friends, or rather we met a group of friends there coming from the other side of Philadelphia, from the Pittsburgh area, and rented a, a pretty nice uh, place. It was fancy looking, although we found out that like every chair in the place seemed to be about to fall apart. Super fancy luxury apartment made extremely cheaply. Yes. I'm pretty sure that one of the pipes was broken and leaking water all over the walls and ceiling. The the furnishings were incredibly cheap, maybe cheaper than Ikea. And the kitchen was very strangely stocked with a toaster that did not work. Not enough cups. A few random utensils, more wine glasses than cups. Yes. It It was odd, but it was very nice. Yes. And uh, it was it was close to the convention center. Not quite close enough to walk, but... Uh, the train was fast. The train was quick, yeah. And we had to play lots of fun games. I spoke with a, a number of different publishers and people who I had, I had arranged to speak with, and I'll be posting articles, uh, a couple articles coming up about those conversations and those games. But I wanted to highlight some of the things that I found really interesting on the floor. Was there anything that stood out to you, Amber? I know you walked the floor a little bit with me, and we saw a bunch of custom fancy dice outlets. Yeah. They seem to be all over the place. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't consider myself that much of a board game nerd. I'm really only in this hobby because Mark has introduced me to it, and I love board games, but maybe I'm not so much into the rest of it just yet. Um, walking the floor, there were all kinds of things that I never really thought of as being part of board games, particularly all the custom dice. But then they had a bunch of like custom wood pieces and miniatures and gaming tables. And I don't know, all of the, the hardware surrounding this hobby was really interesting. Um, most of it was really pretty <laughs> and interesting, I mean, yeah. and, and I could see myself getting into that. But it was just something that I never really thought about or encountered before. Well, I remember we we walked by the Elderwood, I think it was, booth. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, and I was oh, like, it's Mark's birthday. Because it was his birthday on Sunday. Right, yeah. He's like, oh, I'll get him a present. He, he said, look at the price. Nice. And he, he, would, he did want something, I could tell. Um, but well, they're then, beautiful. But then. <laughs> but then I told Amber, I'm like, look at the prices. <laughs> yeah, and I saw the prices for a very tiny piece, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not that rich yet. It was what? It was a little dice tower in what, $350, I think? It was well over $200. Yeah, I think the cheapest thing they sell is like $150, and it's for like a four inch dice tray. No. Yeah. No. I mean, they apparently, I, th- I know they use really fancy woods and it's all it's source really cool. nice. And it, if I had. They are beautiful, but. If I had tons of money to give away, then sure, but I kind of want to buy a house first and, you know, <laughs> real life things first. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would ever spend that much money. I'd have to be significantly richer than I am to consider buying a $300 dice tray uh, or dice tower. Anyway, so there was there was lots of things like that out there that mm-hmm. was strange to me. Just the number of booths that were selling dice and fancy wooden things. And you mentioned miniatures, but there weren't that many minis booths compared to like dice booths or even booths that were selling furniture. So like there are a couple of chair things in at least three or four different table 
companies. Yeah, but I saw lots of minis, too. Maybe they were part of board games at some places. Uh, I, I saw, remember seeing lots of them. I saw a number of them that were part of, like, a game store. Okay. And I don't count that. Okay. If, the, if it's just, like, a local game store that came by and brought some of their stock, that's different than a company that only sells miniatures or a sure. company that only sells dice. Sure, yeah. Um, but I was surprised after the fall of Geek Chic that there were so many table companies still out there. The fall of Geek Chic? Yeah, they went bankrupt. Oh. They were like the premier game table company, and then kind of out of nowhere, they went bankrupt and liquidated their stock. Wow. Yeah. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Apparently, they had a big auction, and some people got some tables for a good price. Nice. But yeah, lots I mean, of sad tables. sad that they went out of business, but right. nice to get one at a good price. But yeah, lots of lots of uh, table companies. The, the floor... I love the idea of the expo hall and all those companies out there and you can kind of peruse and browse and everything, but it's after a while walking through it, I just get kind of numb and I don't want to stop. I just kind of want to look at everything and then I've missed the point, you know, and haven't demoed anything. But there were a couple games that really stood out to me that I think were highlights of packs from the expo hall. Wait, 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 wait. Are you going to talk about mini golf? Mini golf. The little, the little tiny golf card game that you. Oh, I just didn't write that the one down. Concept of it didn't look particularly good, but it was a little wallet know, game about golfing. It, it really didn't look that good, but it did look somewhat entertaining. And Mark just loved the theme, and he had so much fun playing it. It was really funny. I didn't. I mean, I didn't play it. She just showed me how it worked, and yeah. I, then I was slightly disappointed. But but you had a smile on your face the entire time. Well, there are no golf games. <laughs> it's the best sport. And where are the golf games? Mm-hmm. I think that's the second one I've ever even heard of. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how I would make a golf game, and it is very difficult. So mm-hmm. I, I presume that's why. Yes, there was a tiny golf game. Uh, but the the first game that really stood out from the floor, which I heard about on Friday, at some point I was off interviewing people and talking with the different publishers. And I got a message from Wes, I think. And he's like, have you heard of Inhuman Conditions? I'm like, no. And he says, you have to try this game. You have to play this game. I'm like, okay. And, you know, gets people that excited. I got to check it out. So I finally did, I think, on Saturday. And it is fascinating. Did you see this game, Amber? I didn't, but I heard you guys I should have pulled you it. over to play it. But yeah, I think that. you were playing Alchemist at the time. Yeah, yeah, probably it a is, choice. It's from... The, one of the designers, or maybe all of the designers of Secret Hitler, which spun off from the Cards Against Humanity people. And this is a game based on the Voight-Kampf test from the Blade Runner movies, where you interview someone to figure out if they are a robot or not. The booth they had was really cool. They had it partitioned so that there was kind of this interview booth and had a little knickknacks and stuff to kind of set the seam, this kind of noirish stuff, you know. And I was skeptical of the game. Like, it's it's one of those games where you're like, well, they're kind of splitting the difference between role-playing and board gaming, and that rarely works particularly well. And, you know, how much do you have to kind of play out as a role-playing experience rather than just trying to win the game? And at least in the one demo that I had, it worked really, really well. So how it works is that it's a two-player social deduction game, which is weird in and of itself. And one player is the investigator, the other player is either a human, 
a violent robot or a patient robot. The investigator is given various prompts based on different kind of psychological things. So exploring grief or curiosity or I don't remember what they were, uh, which I was told adjusts the difficulty of the game a bit. And so they give you different question prompts and things you can interrupt the person with to kind of try to catch them off guard. And then the person being investigated is given a card with whatever alignment they are. And depending on which one they are, they have some requirements. So if you're a human, you just act normal, answer the questions, try not to appear suspicious. And you're given kind of a, a, an occupation or something to help you build a character. There's a card in the middle that will describe something that a robot will do if they go against their programming. So the patient robots are just trying to get through the interview with a number of conditions applied to them. So maybe they can never speak in the first person about themselves or, hmm. uh, I don't know, they, they, they have to, I don't know, they're all things you can't do, I think, if you're a patient robot. And if you do do them, you have to do that thing in the middle. So in my game, the thing in the middle was apologize. So I was very, you know, that was basically all the information I had. And so I was very much keeping a keen ear on seeing if he was trying to sneak in some kind of sorry statement in the middle of a sentence, which I don't think he ever did. If you're a violent robot, you're given three things that you must do. And you have to do, I think, two out of the three of them. And if you successfully do two out of the three of them before the investigator pegs you as a robot, then you kill the investigator. It's the scene from Blade Runner. It's kind of a lot of setup and a lot of different things going on for presumably such a simple game. But it, it seems to work pretty well. And I think it works well if you don't quite know what you're looking for. I don't know how well the game will work once you kind of know what's on the cards and there don't seem to be that many cards available. Mm. I think there would need to be a good number of them available or else you're just going as the investigator. Once you know the cards, you're just kind of going through a checklist of what possible things they could be doing. And I don't know if the game works after that, but maybe it does, but what a cool experience. Like my, the guy I was interviewing was a violent robot and I pegged him as a human at the end. They actually give you one of those, like, mm -hmm. stamper things. Mm -hmm. They go ka-jink. Uh, so you can stamp the paper with okay. your determination at the end, which is just a perfect bit of com uh, just the greatest component thing. Mm -hmm. But he also failed. So we had a double loss in that situation, mm. which was interesting. You can also obviously have a double win if they're human and you recognize them as human. But really the most interesting game by far that I found at PAX. Really, really fascinating stuff, and I'm super curious to get a review copy and check that one out when it comes out. It, I think it's running a Kickstarter campaign at the moment, or at least it was during PAX. You can probably pre-order it still, and I think it's going to come out later in 2019. The other game that really stood out to me at the Expo Hall at PAX was a another unreleased game. It'll be out in April, I think they said, from AEG called Tiny Towns. And they were doing full demos of this, so I got to play a full game of Tiny Towns. And it was a fun little family, you know, wait game. Did I tell you about this no, one already? No, I don't think you did. So you're given this... 
I think, four by four grid, and there are four or five different colors of cubes available. And Wait, is this the one where you have people that have routes that go around and around? No. No? Okay, never mind. And a number of different buildings with different effects once they're built or at the end of the game. And you build the buildings by aligning the cubes in different shapes on your grid. So Tetris-like shapes. The trick is, though, that the cube that you get each turn is determined by whoever has the initiative, which is cycled around. So everyone each turn gets the same color of cube, but then they decide where they place it. And then once you create the shape of a building, it all kind of collapses down into one space of any of the spaces where a cube was, and then that building is there. And then the buildings just do kind of various things. There was one building that had a passive effect that allowed more cube flexibility, and the rest of them gave victory points by various means. Very simple stuff, but the the spatial aspect is what makes it really interesting, where you have to really plan your town almost from the beginning of the game to be able to fit everything where you want it to fit because I was trying to do a particular strategy but then realized halfway through that I just hadn't planned out the spatial element and the one of the things I was trying to build a lot were these buildings that required three cubes in a row which is almost your entire width or height of the board and I just didn't leave space for that enough times to get the maximum amount of points from it and yeah, really interesting game. I think it'll be a, a big hit for them. Honestly, it's that perfect level of weight where a lot of people are going to like it. You can play it super casually. You can play it strategically. It's got variation. I think the designer said there were four different cards, four different types of buildings for each building meeple block. So you can have tons of different variation and the core gameplay element of it is, is super interesting. I think it'll also be really good as a two-player game because you can do a lot more blocking in terms of trying to make your opponent stumble or put them in a bad situation by selecting a cube color that they really don't want, which isn't as big of a deal with four players. With four players, it seems a bit more casual in that regard. You can just choose the color that helps you the best, but it can get, I think, more aggressive in the two-player area. So I really look forward to playing this one some more. I haven't played a lighter multiplayer game in a while that has yeah. excited me as much as Tiny Towns. I think you would like it, Amber. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. We it should was, play sometime. It was casual. I don't have it yet. Again, it's not out. April. But it should be out in April, and I'm going to try to get a review copy of it. What else did I see on the on the floor? We saw Pirate Tricks, which is a game that we helped play test months ago uh, for a company called Soaring Rhino. Wait, did they have the full game? Yeah, they had the oh, full game released. I, I got to I see all the art. I still demoing it. I didn't get to see the art. Oh, no. You didn't get to get a t-shirt either. They're giving us t-shirts. Yeah, I know. I washed your shirt the other day. Yes. I got a nice t-shirt from them. Uh, so we know them through mutual friends. And Soaring Rhino is two brothers, I think. Yeah. Right? Brothers, cousins. I don't know. One of them used to work for Hasbro. Uh, but now they're, they've started their own company. And they had one game that is really has been released for a few months i believe called shifting realms the one we play tested is called pirate tricks it is a trick-taking game that we had a lot of fun with actually it was a lot of fun um it's a trick-taking game with bidding where you bid for what your hand of cards will be Mm -hmm. or at least 
most of the cards in the hand of cards, there's still some randomness up there. Mm -hmm. And the conditions for the trick-taking change every round. Which makes Uh, it much more interesting than hearts or other card games. I mean, I still like hearts. I don't know. Pirate Tricks was a lot more fun, though. Pirate Tricks was much more gamey and kind of interesting in that way. The the bidding was was super cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really kind of livened up trick-taking into something more strategic. I think that people who like to play cards will like this game, too. It's a natural fit. See, okay. I liked it. No, no, no. This is this is a little bit off topic. Do you refer to trick taking games as playing cards? Yes. That's what that's what Ben does also, and I think Orion. I mean, I also play cards with non trick taking games. Okay, so it's anything with a deck of cards for you. Well, I mean, yeah, but when someone says play cards, I am thinking first of trick taking games. Really. Because yeah. I first think of casino games or gin yeah. rummy type games. Okay, well, gin rummy is like second on the list. And then things like Kings in the Corner or other, or Speed or other childhood games. But yeah, trick-taking games, are, aren't they the most popular form of cards? I don't know. Like I, spades and hearts and... It must be what you grew up playing. Because like, I played hearts, but almost entirely on the computer. Oh, okay. Whereas the games I played with normal cards were usually poker or gin rummy. And then in high school, the more the the speed games that you and your family taught taught me. Yeah, um, hearts was... Uh, it's something that my But if I heard you want to play cards, I would assume they meant poker. Oh, that's interesting. That's a weird linguistic thing. Huh. Comment below with what you think of when you hear someone say, do you want to play cards? Yeah, but it, but it is order of preference. Like, I definitely think of playing cards as a wider category. It's just trick taking games. Okay, because I was thinking about this the other day when we were talking. We we had played a spades a couple of times recently, and Ben, when he was talking about card games in general, it seemed like he, when he said play cards, he meant specifically trick taking games. Hmm. You'll have to Maybe ask not, that. but that seemed to be what what the implication was, which is super interesting. Hmm. Anyways, Pirate Tricks, if you like trick-taking games, look it up. Our names are in the rulebook. Oh, did they you, are? <laughs> did you submit your name? Probably not. I'm so I might mad. have submitted your I, name. I gave Mark comments to pass along to um, the creators because I didn't want to submit my own comments. <laughs> I'm very bad at this. <laughs> yeah, so at least my name is in the rulebook. First rulebook credit. Uh, for playtesting, Ben and Matt, the whole group basically, we we played it a few times. Um, is my name the only one not in there? <laughs> I don't remember. It was, it was months ago when they asked us for names for I the know, rule book. I, so... I assume I submitted your name also. Okay, good. Anyways. I had comments. I made sure that you gave them. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So let's talk about what you played at PAX. So you got there on Saturday and you, you just kind of stayed in the free play area the whole time, right? I guess you walked around with me a most bit. Most of the day I did. I, I definitely walked around and saw most of the booths. Um, and then I also spent a good two hours getting food at the little market across the street. I did not go into the market this year at all, which is really sad. The market was very, very crowded. Orion and I got barbecue and donuts. Yes, I ate them. I got a dozen donuts and I only got one of those donuts because... 
Everyone else in our group ate them. <laughs> I only had one. And a half. Someone, and by someone I mean some people, <laughs> had more than two. <laughs> I might have had two. <laughs> Somewhere between one and two inclusive is what I ate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The donuts were delicious. They were very good yeah. donuts. But the rest of the time I was in the free play area and I played a couple games that were new to me, but not to our group. So yes. You guys had all played them before and you were like, how have you not played these games before? So I played two games. One was way more frustrating than it should have been. And the other was uh, pleasantly surprising. So I played Alchemists and Spirit Island. Surprisingly, I've never played Spirit Island before, I know. Um, I thought you played it Well, with actually, us. no, no. I played once, but it didn't count because it was like a 10-minute game. And we lost very horrible, quickly. Um, and terrible, and that's why I didn't want to play again. But anyways, Alchemists was the first game that I played, and it looked so fun, and it was right up my alley, a little deduction game. It it's had, not a little game. It had cats on the board. There are cats. And wizards with cauldrons, and all kinds of neat little punch-out pieces for you to insert into the board as you went along. It was fun. Really, really fun. But... You had some horrible luck. But you're actually supposed to be able to deduce things in this game. And this is impossible when you only draft neutral potions and negative green potions. There's like a rate... There's blue, red, and green positive and negative potions. So that's six potions plus neutral potions. So you can draft... Seven different types of potions. And the entire game, I only drafted two kinds of potions, (laughs) making it absolutely impossible for me to deduce anything about the red or blue elements. Well, I mean, to be fair, if you had gotten at least one other kind of potion, you probably would have been able to cascade a lot of deductions out. So I got one at the very end. But it wasn't enough to actually deduce anything. It was only enough to say it was one or the other. And right. I bet I you had a lot of wrong. conditional pairs. And yeah. Yes. And I guessed wrong. So I did four neutral potions and four negative green potions. Were they in a row? Did you get like all four neutrals in a row? Um, no, I got like two neutrals in a row and then three negative greens in a row and then another neutral and then another negative green. And then another neutral, and then finally something else. I don't remember what, but by that point, it was the last round of the game, and it was time to actually publish theories and debunk theories. Um, so you were, I you did knew nothing. Very poorly. Alchemist was a very frustrating and disappointing experience, but I could see it being really fun, so I would I would still play it again. It is very fun, although it is very obtuse. It's a lot of rules. I don't know. I usually find that games have really stupid rules that are unintuitive and fight you guys all the time on them, but I didn't really find that with Alchemists. Alchemist I think there's one a... thing I disputed with Orion, and as usual, I had to defer to the majority of people who keep the rules. You mean the rule book? No, the majority's interpretation of the rule book, Mark. Amber, usually when we have disputes over rules... I find something from the designer. Yeah, online. That's not in the rule book. And I'm like, okay, fine. I guess that's okay. But it's the designer. 
I guess that's okay. I Mark, I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> what, what's the constitutional interpretation term? Originalist? No, you textualist. I don't know. Textualist. You, you yeah, read yeah. the text. The text is all that matters. The designer's intentions do not matter unless it is memorialized in the text. But Amber, the people score rule books all the time. I know. They have to publish giant FAQs with erratas with more information about rules I know. all the time. So what you're saying is that rule books should be written better. Well, number one, yes. <laughs> FAQs are fine for supplements. They really are. But sometimes I want to play games in ways that you don't want me to play. And this frustrates me. Amber, you have a cat about to attack you from behind. <laughs> this cat's going nuts. She's crazy. Yeah, Alchemist is a really fun game. It's one of those games where I've almost gotten a copy, but it's too similar to other games we don't play that we probably wouldn't play that one either. Not that we don't like them, it's just we don't get around to them a lot. Uh, so I haven't yet bought it, but it's it's a very good game. And Spirit Island, which... I'm I, looking back. I can see that yes, you haven't played it with us the many times that we played it. I think I've played it many, near, many, many times. You've I think played. I've played it nearly twenty times. Wow! And you'd finally played it again at PAX, and you had a good time, right? Yeah, I had a great time. You guys had a really close game. Like it didn't feel close though. It felt like we were winning. Really? It did. Because there was a point when I was watching when I stopped by at a couple points during the game. And one point I was like, I think they might not have this one. And it was like that round you had to have a good round. And that was like the tipping point. There's always a tipping point in a game mm-hmm. of Spirit Island where you start getting momentum back on the enemy. Mm-hmm. And that was a close one. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you thought you were winning. I did. I mean, not by a landslide, but it always felt like we had the upper hand. Yeah, I don't know. You guys were getting blighted out really hard. Yeah. What what race did you play again, or what what spirit? Um, the the green one. Oh, rampant green. Yes, rampant. That's green. why you felt like you were winning. That one gives you a, a sense of overconfidence because you can go like wherever mm-hmm. you want and you just true true populate the board willy nilly. Maybe I should always play this race then. Yeah, don't play like the earth one. You'll get like three presents out there, and then you struggle to get more, and then you kind of sit there. I mean, I'm sure there are good strategies with the Earth Spirit, but I had a bad game last time I played it. Yeah, Spirit Island's great. Yeah, it was lots of fun. That's all the comments. I could go on and on, and I have on this podcast, so I'm restraining myself. But uh, you had a good time. Lindsay had this ability to make my slow powers fast a lot. Which oh, that's right. You guys had lightning. Powerful. Yeah. And being extra fast and spreading out everywhere made me feel... Very, very powerful. That's true. You guys had a setup that made you guys feel powerful. Because you had Rampant Green. Mm-hmm. Lindsay had Lightning, which just cheats and makes things fast that shouldn't be fat, fast. Mm-hmm. And Orion was the Ocean, which makes mm-hmm. pushing and pulling And I pushed way all better. kinds of people into the Ocean. It was Yes. Fun. Normal games without the Ocean, you can't push people into the Ocean. You just push them oh. onto a different land. That's yes. sad. Okay. So you guys had two spirits that really kind of let you break the rules, quote yeah. unquote, in, in specific ways. Yeah. And then Wes played this fear spirit, and when upgrading his powers, I got all the ones that were good for him, which was kind of sad. But it was a fear-based victory, I think, which you said was interesting. 
Oh, you guys did have a fear victory, huh? Yeah. You said It's only the second time we've done that. Okay. I mean, you kind of need to have Wes's fear spirit to do it. Yeah. But I think we were close to winning, too, just by eradicating things, because we had almost eradicated all the towns, and we were... We had a number of cities left up, right? Yeah. The cities are all that matter. Yeah, but we had control. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I felt, I felt like we were winning the whole time. Yeah. And then what was the... Oh, the next thing... The other thing we did was the playtest, right? That was yes. the other game you played? Yes. Yeah, so we... Where did I get this information from? I think it was from the Board Game Reviewers Facebook group where someone was like, hey, does anyone here want to play test my game at PAX and, you know, provide feedback? And I later found out, after communicating with the guy a bit, that he's also a part of this other website that I've been kind of writing for. Nothing's been published yet, but I have a few things in progress uh, called Love Thy Nerd, which is a Christian nerd media website, and he worked with them. And so I knew him through multiple different connections. Uh, so we got a group together and play tested his game. What did you think of the game? Did you submit any comments? I I really didn't. I didn't want to email or anything. I figured you would submit plenty of comments. I submitted many comments. Yes, yes, yes. I had fun playing it. I thought that the movement dimensionally was fun, but at the same time wasn't very satisfying and didn't quite make sense. So I think the movement mechanism needed some work. Yeah. But it the board setup was super cool. I liked the um the interdimensionality of it, the changing pieces, the swapping rooms, the different portals and entrances. So I thought it was interesting and I think it has a lot of potential. I just want it to be a little bit more satisfying. Um, and the I want the choices to I don't know have more impact and matter Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of a haunted house game, similar to Betrayal or... It was more fun than Betrayal. I disagree. Well, I mean, it depends on the game of Betrayal. I was very harsh with my feedback, because I figured he wants honest feedback, I'm going to give him honest feedback, or else what's the point? And I didn't think it was... Again, I think there's... Like you said, there's potential, but I didn't think it was executed particularly well. I mean, the rules were written better than Betrayal, but that's that's a very low bar. Betrayal is, is such a low bar. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? If your game is going to be moving around and then you pull a card and, you know, something happens to you, mm-hmm. the fun part of that game is all the random zany stuff that happens to you. That's right? true, yeah. And all the time in this game we place tested was spent, like, figuring out where to move, which is the not fun part of the game. At least in Betrayal, like, you have, like, no decision. You're like, okay, I go through that door, and you pull a random tile and get a random thing. But you're at least you're quickly getting to the random tile and random thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, there was a lot of time spent making kind of non-decisions that didn't really matter to get to yes. the fun parts, yeah. which was my main criticism of it. We, we're still communicating, actually, me and the guy, the designer, because he wanted some more feedback on my comments. But I think that was the big problem with it. It's always interesting to play test stuff like that because on one hand, it's very hard to to give, to be critical about the game because you know they've been working on it a long time and it's their baby. And And at this point, it is mostly complete. Yeah, and it's like, but if if I'm not honest, what's the point of it? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just... I'm just giving him a false sense of security. But I admit it's not my genre of game. It's, like I told him, it's the same genre as Eldritch Horror or Betrayal at House on the Hill. It is a roll dice move, you know, roll dice stuff happens to you kind of game. Mm-hmm. 
But I think it was more, this one just did get to the part where the fun stuff happens to you quick enough. And there was quite a bit of downtime. Yeah, I think the movement mechanism felt unfinished and and unsatisfying. Yeah. But there were cool elements. But it was interesting to playtest something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. What else did we play? We didn't do a mega game this year, which was disappointing. We needed to sign up for one ahead of time, and I just was behind in anything, everything preparing for PAX, and I didn't get to one. A couple of the people who... Uh, friends who we met there did play a mega game, but they were very disappointed. Apparently it was not run very well at all, which is sad because this year, not only was it an early sign-up, but you actually had to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And last year, you didn't have to pay for it. You just had to get lucky and get in line soon enough. But, I mean, mega games, from what I can tell, we only, I've only done the one from last year, but by their nature, they're kind of chaotic. Yeah, it seems like they would be really difficult to run and it would change a lot based on the people who are playing right but the talking rules, apparently there was no rules explanation for this one because you were supposed to read the rules ahead of time but no one got the rules ahead of time or like half the people got the rules ahead of time and then apparently they started like 45 minutes late. Yeah, you can't, then you can't start those And then didn't give an explanation of anything. And it was just a chaotic mess, which was annoying. That ended in China nuking everyone, apparently. Um, and then <laughs> half the elements of the game never even discovered or played out. Which yeah. Which was disappointing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad we didn't play it, I guess, because... It was so poorly done, but there's so much potential with mega games. I got to look to see if there's another one coming to Boston, one of the bigger ones they do like all day long. I think that would be very, very fun. Yeah, I would love to do that. I think that kind of thing would be really fun to design someday. It would be interesting to design a mega game because there are a lot more elements, like diplomatic elements around which you could design that you don't necessarily get. In a normal board game, even a, a big diplomatic one, mm-hmm. it would be very interesting. Another game that I got to look at, and I'm actually going to release a video about, it's called Ivian, which I'll go over briefly. It was, I think, along the lines of Summoner Wars or Mage Wars, which is a game I got long time ago and did not like at all and sold it. Remember Good. that game? I hated that game. Yeah, so Ivian looks like that game, but without all the nonsense that we hated about Mage Wars, which was all the conditions and the tokens and the rules minutiae. It looked a bit more streamlined, more along the lines of magic, but instead of having a group of creatures, you were one person in a kind of arena battle on a grid, and all your cards were equipments or attacks uh, and stuff like that. And the people who designed it were super nice. I had a great time interviewing them. I hope the video turns out. I haven't uploaded it yet. I'm going to try to start working on that later this week. But we showed it off. And it looks like a really cool game with a ton of customization potential. Like, it's one of those games that's legit a big, like, normal board game box size full of cards. Not like, you know, one of those games where you get a big box and there's, like, two decks of cards in there. They got, I think they said, nearly a thousand cards in the box. That's insane. Yeah. So I I didn't get a chance to play it, but looking at it and talking with them about it, and I threw some tough questions at them. They they seemed like they did their homework and they knew what they were doing in in terms of the design. 
The other things I did at PAX were competitive events. So on Friday, I didn't have a ton I needed to do for the Thoughtful Gamer. And I had just gotten Keyforge. And I had been starting to get back into Magic with Magic on uh, Magic Arena. Uh, Magic the Gathering Arena, uh, their new online implementation. And so I'm like, you know what? Let's play some card games on Friday. So I did a Keyforge event and a Magic draft also, two of the friends we met up with are, are very hardcore Magic players, and so I wanted to do something fun with them. So we did what's called a Chaos Draft, which was less chaotic than I had hoped. It wasn't that chaotic. There was a little bit of chaos, but not not much. But essentially, a Chaos Draft is when you draft from a random or semi-random pool of booster packs. So we got some from the crazy, you know, not tournament legal sets. Uh, some older sets, some newer sets, all over the place. Uh, I ended up going. What did I do? I yeah, I went two and one. Although one of them was a forfeit, my opponent didn't show up first round, and then I lost my second round and then won the third. So wow. I was able to get some. They have some kind of point system. I have my my own like registration card for the official Magic tournament stuff. So I'm in their database. I got my own card number. I'm a card carrying Magic player. Most unsatisfying. <laughs> Wait, what is? You want to be a card-carrying magic player? I didn't say I wanted to be. I said I was. I had no choice. You seem very excited about this. I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny. Satisfying. It's kind of funny. But I think I put together a decent deck. I didn't open anything particularly expensive. And I'm kind of sad I didn't get to play out my first round. But I was able to get enough points to buy some more booster packs of random stuff. It was really fun. Magic is... It's interesting. It's... It's its own world. It is its own world. It's hard for me to evaluate it from a gameplay perspective. Because on one hand, I... There are some very serious flaws with magic. It snowballs. I mean, that's the big one. It snowballs. So if you have a fast deck and you can't win in the time frame that your deck is supposed to win in, you just lose. Like, there's no recovery or anything like that. If you're a control deck and you can't control them down fast enough, you just lose. There's, there's nothing to balance the game out. It just kind of plays out. And there are some significant decisions to be made during the game, but most of it seems to be deck construction and the luck of the draw. But on the other hand, it's really addictive and fun to play. <laughs> Even though there's all this, like, seem fundamentally fundamental problems with the game, I still really enjoy playing it, particularly drafting. I think drafting is by far the best magic format. It's fun to draft cards. It's fun to make a deck. It's fun to know that you're kind of on a semi-even playing field where... Everyone spent the same amount of money. Everyone spent the same amount of money. You all had more or less the same options, you know, generally. And you're just trying to outwit them and build the best deck you can. That's super fun. I really enjoyed it. The Keyforge event was interesting. It was a sealed event, so... You bought in essentially three new packs, and you played until you lost with a pack over three rounds. Uh, I ended up going one and two. I apparently am a very bad judge of the strength of Keyforge decks. Well, the first round, (laughs) I went with the deck that just had the most rares. I'm like, well, that's got to be good, and lost very quickly. The second round, I went with the deck with the coolest name and also lost. And then the third deck, not only did I win, but it felt the best of all three of the decks. 
and I think is the strongest deck I own out of the five I own now. Is that the one I played the other day? It's the one I played Which against one? you. The second game, I think. Oh, but I won that one. Or no, is it the one you played? It's the one you played played. with Arise. It has like three copies of Arise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one I think is really good. But yeah, Keyforge, I haven't haven't started my review on it yet, but I think it's a decent game. It has an odd cadence to it if you've played other collectible type card games. I I don't really buy into the business model of it, but... I think it's a decent game, but not a great game. I have a feeling it might fade out a bit. I think it is a good game for Magic and Netrunner and all players of all of those games to introduce their friends to who will never get into Magic or Netrunner or any of those games. That's a good point. I think that that's substantially... what this game was designed for. It, it was designed to be a deck builder game for people who don't want to build decks. A gateway drug. Maybe, maybe, but maybe just a good time for people who want to play games with non-deck builder people. Yeah. I mean, it's it's substantially simpler than every other collectible type game that I've played or heard of. The rule set is very simple. I think the the way they're doing tournament formats, have I told you about this? Each person no. brings a, their a single deck and you play around and then you switch decks. Oh, you did tell and me. And then you yeah. play a second round, and if the same person wins twice, they win. If not, you bid chains for the winning deck, basically. So, theoretically, that should self-balance the decks in a really pretty simple format. But the game itself, I think it's decent. But, like, I think even more than Magic, it feels like it's just up to getting the right cards at the right time. That If you have decently fair decks against each other then yeah it's just the luck of the draw do you get the the cards you need to do that board wipe or to get the ember or amber whatever it's called you need to get the final key and put yourself in a position i think its charms will fade over time pretty quickly i don't think it'll have a long tail but they seem to have certainly made a lot of money so far when i registered my decks before pack so like third or fourth week of november there were already 180,000 decks registered. That's crazy. Registered. I haven't checked it since then. So that's a lot of money. (laughs) So Fantasy Flight's getting good money off of it. I don't know how long it'll last, but I'll have my review up at some point in the next month or two um, after I play it some more and see if any strong trends emerge with the decks that I have. I don't intend on buying any more decks, but I'll try to hit up a couple of the events at the local store to see what that's like. That's, I think, everything I did at PAX. It's a fun event. It's really, really good. I love the convention. It's my favorite convention, I think, of all of the ones I go to, or have gone to, rather. And it's got a really nice balance of a robust expo hall. It's not too crowded. Like, midday Saturday is pretty bustly, but it's not insane like PAX East or what I've heard Gen Con is. It's extremely well organized and has lots of opportunities to play tons of games. So I highly recommend it. It's really awesome. Are you going to go all three days next year, Amber? No. <laughs> One day is enough. One day is enough. I get so tired at conventions and conferences. That's fair. Anywhere there where there's a mass of people, I can't take more than one and maybe one and a half days. Yeah, that's fair. 
extreme introvert. But I feel like you're not as introverted as I am generally. I guess you're not as interested in board games. Well, we, we've talked about this. When you are comfortable in a group, you cease to be an introvert. Yeah, I and, suppose so. And I am just always an introvert, no matter how comfortable I am. That's fair. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's our podcast for today. Thanks for being on the podcast again, Amber. Thanks, Mark. It was Are you enjoying the podcast more, doing the podcast? Yeah, I think I'm enjoying it more. I nice. think I, I needed a good break. I think I needed <laughs> some space. But I'm enjoying playing more games, doing yeah. more podcasts. It's fun. It's a yeah. lot of fun. Anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out thethoughtfulgamer.com. Hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. And if you want to watch our podcasts being recorded live as well as get a bunch of other cool rewards, go to patreon.com slash thethoughtfulgamer. Your contributions help us keep going. Also, guaranteed cat appearances. Oh, right. Yes, Amber makes sure that happens. If you are watching the podcast, you will see our very adorable cat. Who's been was being very mean earlier. She wasn't being mean. She but, was just playing. But also being adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have t-shirts up. If you go to the website on the right-hand side, you'll see where you can buy Thoughtful Gamer t-shirts. We have two designs up right now. And the t-shirt quality is actually really nice from really this new nice. company. I really like these t-shirts. Yeah, They're yeah. Threadless. I'm, I'm impressed with them. Order yeah. large. They do run small. Yes. They do run small and shrink. Yes. Uh, so order probably a size bigger than you expect, but they're really cool t-shirts and they help us continue as well. They give us a little bit of money in the pocket to keep the Thoughtful Gamer going. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. I remembered it this time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye. <laughs>